Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, men and women, non-conformers and non-believers, gender X and gender equals, welcome to Eat the Storms, the poetry podcast. My name is Damon B. Donnelly and I'm the host and producer of this show and delighted you have chosen to join us here today, tonight, this morning, tomorrow or whenever it is you've tuned in on one of the podcast platforms including Spotify, Anchor, Apple, Google, Breaker, Podbean, Pocketcast, Overcast, Player FM, Radio Public and of course iTunes. We kicked off season three last weekend with a Pride poetry party that featured 13 international guests from the LGBT community, all sharing their exceptional stories. And thank you all of you for tuning in. Today's show may have less guests, but it is no less divine. I will be joined by a poet from Dublin, from Wales, from Baltimore, Maryland, and down to a southern puritanical Bible Belt town before crossing back over the Atlantic to Belfast in Northern Ireland. So settle back, put your feet up, turn off the phone, and for the next hour, stay bloody poetic. Today, I'm going to kick off the show with two short poems touching on identity and development. The first flight, even in the fall, captures the sparkle of the butterfly's climb out of the cradle of the chrysalis, and the second, a look at the filigrees within this flesh. Flight, even in the fall. Fan unfolds in the forest after body's last breath. Sails of stained glass spread out like silk. Far from sea or scripture. Light has no anchor. Beauty was not born in any Bible. To begin with, our nature is inevitable and we, forever envious until dust unfolds into light. The orchestration is opulent after release. Kites catch colour on a canvas concerned with creations, ways of season sails. A wing is a wonder all on its own. Broken can be breathtaking and fragility can come back to life. Chrysalis is only a cradle. The soul not bound to body. Fan unfolds in forest. Sails of stained glass shimmer a trail through trees. Waves of ash falling up in the sunlight. A blaze of sailing stars. Filigree. There are holes all over this skin. Fantastic, gaping holes that have stretched over time. Remnants of the holes where others tried to keep me back. We learn to run before we're found. Discover how to hide the darkness even in a skin of such open filigree. There are pockets stitched to the sinew, 
Bandages that suppress all we cannot slice off. I could open a school for the practice of smiles under pressure. How to fold silence secretly into the earlobe for when the world knocks too loud. Though I don't have a door to keep it out. There are holes all over this skin. Fantastic. First up on the show today, we have an American girl now at home in Wales in the United Kingdom. An award-winning poet with work featured in over 50 publications including North American Review, London Magazine, Magma and The Interpreter's House. She is the author of two poetry collections published by the Parthian Books. The first was More Than You Wear in 2017 and the second was How to Carry Fire published in 2020. I had the wonderful opportunity of hearing this poet read from her last collection at the Flight of the Dragonflies on Zoom this Tuesday, an exceptional sharing of her story, her history and her journey through the blazing flames of life. It is an honour to welcome to Eat the Storms the creative writing lecturer from Cardiff Metropolitan University and also the poetry editor for the Cardiff Review. This is Christina Thatcher. Hello, my name is Christina Thatcher, and I'm going to be reading some poems for you today from my second collection, How to Carry Fire. So quite a lot of this collection deals with um, difficult themes. It, it looks at addiction, family dysfunction, um, anxiety, and kind of considers the way that fire might enter our lives, both literally and metaphorically. But when I was picking poems to read for you today, I couldn't help just thinking about how much I missed my home in America um, and also how lucky I am to have built a home here in Wales. So part of this collection also explores that, this kind of um, homemaking and the difference between what it means to grow up in a place and what it means to find and discover a place. So I'm gonna read you a couple of poems today that explore these themes. So the first one is about my very last American road trip, the one right before I moved to the UK. My last American road trip. Off the coast of Bar Harbor, mouth still numb from the sweet salt of lobster ice cream, I point at moose cluttering the tree line. Soon, seals slice the water, their bodies the weight of my wobbling kayak, and I stop to think what it means to be in this place where eagles rocket and call to me, where I know what it takes to catch river trout, gallop horses, tease chickens from their eggs, all at once. I don't want to leave, don't want to board a plane to some unknown country, I am afraid. Slow my paddling until the man leading us circles back and points. See those rocks? They formed during the Paleozoic era. Red and gray teeth cut straight into the earth, broken apart over millennia. Jagged now, they were once connected to Wales, Pembrokeshire. 
famous for its stretching coast, just like home. So that first glimpse of these coastlines in America um, really helped me feel anchored when I came to Wales. But even when I arrived, there was so much more here than I expected. So I'm gonna share this poem with you um, about my newfound home. It's called Keeping Warm after Horatio Clare. Wales is a small coat with deep pockets. So I plunge my hands in to search for treasures and fish out. Steep climbs to fickle skies, wild rivers thrusting through a hilly landscape, blackbirds chirping sharply on a wooden zigzag fence. I pull out steeples, churches, the sounds of singing bells, signs with words I know but can't pronounce, home words. In the seams, I find skeletons of winter trees, crumpled forest ferns, flakes of mud. My fingers smell of damp and wood smoke, thin wisps of cinnamon, strong home brews. They are so much deeper than I thought. These pockets made of Brecon caves, dark and light, hot and cold, drawing me in to this good and steadfast place. So over the last year in the pandemic, I have felt so lucky to have been here in Wales um, with my husband and my friends and my newfound family. But of course I miss my homeland too. And I'm not really sure when I'll get to go back to visit it. So I reminisce a lot about what it was like to grow up in America. Um, and there's a poem in this collection, which calls back to that, um, calls back to this kind of growing up, coming of age time in, um, in Eastern Pennsylvania. So I'm gonna read that, um, which is called Ode to Ottsville after Sierra de Mulder. I want waffle cones from the cherry top drive-through by the puppy mill. I want to ride in a rusted Chevy truck to the small store with rabid alfalfa to splash barefoot into Hicken Creek, feel a hundred toe-hungry tadpoles wriggle. I want to walk, belly hot in summer to the corner shop and buy ice pops from the too high counter, to pick out weeding gloves in wearings, the smell of tire rubber stiff in my nose. I want the saturated cool blue of a too early morning, the sound of sleeping hens soft cooing. I want the feel of a hosed down horse, the fatness of a sudsy sponge in my hand. I want the thick readiness of saddle soap in my pocket, leather oil soaking into my fingers. I want to spot speckled fawns surfacing, unsteady from the woods to graze with their mothers. I want to pluck plump blackberries from back pastures, their juice staining my unwashed mouth for days. I want that time again when geese were a child's only enemy, when fear was just bats emerging from the paddocked barn. So I'm just gonna read one final poem um, 
I think like a lot of us, I've been trying to think about all the things I've been grateful for over this past year because it's so it's been so difficult, um, the pandemic with uh, so many kind of challenges, um, anxieties, health crises and everything like that. And, you know, I'm lucky not only to just have this one home in Wales, but to have my home back in the States. But I realized probably like many of us that, you know, home is really where the love is. And um, I've been so grateful, especially this year for my husband, Rich, um, who has just been a steady rock throughout the whole pandemic. Um, and he is a gardener. So not only has he been um, kind of a support system for me, but he also has been teaching me. So on all of these long COVID walks, um, he's been teaching me all about trees and plants, which has been really lovely. So I'm gonna read the final poem in the collection which is called How to Love a Gardener for Rich. Thank you so much for listening. Love like the horse chestnut loves carbon, like the sun isn't millions of miles away or doomed. Love like a blue fur amongst white pines, like a wide shovel opening the earth. Rewind your favorite moment over early dinners, the correct identification of an olive tree climbing 55 feet up a fat trunk, turning backpack pockets into houses for leaves. Love as eagerly as sprouting seeds, as hungry as a goat up an argon tree. Love like you are spotting a red squirrel for the first time. Relish in your blooming knowledge of Latin, wood propping, chopagation, love as easy as hibiscus roots drink rain. Breathe in the smell of earth drenched boots, savor the quick flowing photos of pheasants and hedgehogs and newts. Love like a pioneer species. Love like Semper Virens, evergreen. Love like every green thing ever plant it, will live long, and never burn. Thank you. From Wales, we are now heading over to Baltimore, Maryland in the United States for my next guest. The author of the poetry collection Thresholds and Other Poems, published by Apprentice House in 2018. The chapbook States, published by Third Ear Books, and his new collection, A Dialect of Hammers, will be published by Salmon Poetry in 2023. An award-winning poet, he's had his work featured in The Irish Times, The Mott, Free State Review, Maryland Voices, and many more publications. He was the winner of the Oberon Prize for Poetry and recently took second place at the 2021 Fish Publishing Poetry Prize. I am delighted to welcome to the podcast the editor of Loch Raven Review, Matt Honer. Hi, this is Matt Honer. Thank you, Damien, for the honor of having me on your poetry podcast, Eat the Storms. It's an honor to be among so many terrific poets. These first two poems are from my book, Thresholds and Other Poems, published by Apprentice House Press in Baltimore, Maryland in 2018. Mayday. I walk out into a humid morning, 
my hand curled around the rim of my skateboard. I hear my mother's voice on Miss Ellen's porch. She's chatting, hand pinching a cigarette thrown back in the air, la-di-da. She's been there for an hour or so. I look over as I lock the door that is no longer hers and wonder why she hasn't knocked at our house first. Hi, Mom, I say across houses and years. She turns and begins to answer, hi, hon, as I drop four steps off the top of the porch and land bang on the sidewalk, click-clack seven squares to the curb, pop an ollie onto the asphalt where she pulled away in her rust-orange Datsun on May Day three years back. I carve right, hard, wheels sliding, and haul ass down the street, shoving the earth away with each push, spinning the planet faster in reverse with each kick, raging time backwards like Superman, to right before the sky over me turned tornado green, and I understood at ten the end of love, the wreck of family, the limits of God. Wheels growling beneath me, I roll away from her into that summer's nuclear winter fallout drift, that long, slow, steady Geiger counter tick of hurt. Phantom. At the bottom of Poplar Hill Road, the darkness still closes in thick around your headlights like a slow thunderclap, like silence after a muzzle flash. The trees who bore witness then are taller. Three decades ago, a secret crept out of the forest to tell itself, then melted back into oblivion. You think of those rainy nights in 1983. You think of desire and isolation. You think of life returning in the woods, mating songs of tree frogs and insects, timid hoof steps of deer far back in the thickets. The roadside where they parked is still wild. You think of the songs on their radios those nights. Some say he knew the woods. Some say he raged at his own loneliness. Cresting the hill where that peculiar old farmhouse turns its bruised shoulder to the road, you think of gentle breaking sounds, footsteps on wet leaves, ballads crackling inside steamed car windows at night. These next two poems will be published in my forthcoming collection with Salmon Poetry in 2023. A poet sits down to write after a massacre. Tree of Life Synagogue, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, October 27th, 2018. To write poetry after Auschwitz is barbaric. Theodore Adorno. The dead keep piling up and all I have are poems to wrap them in. Pockmarks across synagogue walls are a new font in a familiar language I refuse to utter. Men have begun again to speak in tongues syntaxed by phonemes of caliber and clip capacity. Diction I will not assemble into sentences, sounds I cannot make into words.
What color, the stripes being woven like old narratives into new camp pajamas? How many stars, asterisk, prayers into the bluest night? There is no metaphor for what I cannot abide, no pentameter for the sound of earth falling from the hands of love into a freshly filled grave. My iams are a pair of backwards-turned boots in the stirrups of a riderless horse. We measure the inarticulate grammar of fear in the steady metronome of newsfeed updates, punctuate the lulls between carnage with promises and jammed in the wind. Cover my eyes with verses if you must, bribe the ferryman with curses and dust. A poet's contract is blood-inked, bone-stamped, ratified eternal at the frontier where hope kisses rust. How to plan for peace talks. Leave the Kalashnikovs at home. Take the kittens. Take cookies. Men who hate each other across fancy tables will still eat cookies together. Hang Picasso's Guernica from the largest wall and require all sides to pledge allegiance to the dying horse, the light bulb, the screaming woman holding her wounded baby. At moments of impasse, release the kittens. Dose the room with cute until they're laughing. When the warring sides begin to name their kittens, give every warlord a scoop and assign litter boxes. Play box cello suites over their headsets instead of interpreters' translations of intransigence. Serve water from the last place each nation bombed. Serve it in vessels pulled intact from the rubble. Somewhere in the chaos of their mutual ambition, grandmothers tend garden plots. Serve them fruit and vegetables fertilized with the blood of children. For dessert, resolution served two ways, honey or vinegar. When they fail to choose, send them home with a colony of bees in each briefcase and guides on how to harvest honey. Make them fly coach to bathe in the gaze and breath of the people they are about to kill. For my final poem, I have moved to the front porch where you can hear in the background the chorus of a million 17-year cicadas issuing their mating calls to each other. And I've asked one of them, Casanova Cicada, to translate my poem into Cicadian. Haiku, Mount Rushmore. Ate breakfast under the stony white gazes of four dead presidents. Casanova. Thank you, Casanova, and thank you, Damian Donnelly, for the wonderful opportunity to read for Eat the Storms podcast.
My next guest on Eat the Storms today is the Queen of the Sonnets, the founder of the journal Pink Plastic House and the co-founder of Performance Anxiety, an online poetry reading series. She is also the author of 20 books of poetry, including Candy Cigarette, Woman Child Noir, Fluffer Southern Gothic Fever Dream, Dewey Decimal, and her recently released Atheist Barbie. All the way from the United States of America, please welcome to the podcast the Pushcart nominated and best of the net finalist, poet Kirsten Garth. Hello, Damien and everyone at the Eat the Storms podcast. I am so excited to be here today. My name is Kirsten Garth. And I am going to be talking about my new book, Atheist Barbie, which comes out on June 25th. Not very long now. Actually, when you're hearing this, it may already be out. So um, uh, I was so excited when um, Damien asked me to do this that I hurried off <laughs> immediately to go record it because I just have so much to say about this book. Um, it's a little collection coming out from a Maverick Duck Press, and it's about my own um, kind of style, I guess I would say, of atheism <laughs> and being a Southern girl um, in a very small um, puritanical uh, Bible Belt town and um, always being afraid to call yourself an atheist because, you know, um, where I live, even in these modern times, that's a... Uh, term here that is conflated with, you know, things that it is not, it, you know, that, that somehow you're a Satanist or, um, which to me, it's, it's kind of funny because, you know, coming from the background that I did, which was very puritanical, very um, uh, fundamentalist, um, you know, strict, strict Mormon background, um, but I was also abused. Coming from that background, I, um, just at a very young age rejected all of that because the people who were indoctrinating me to believe these things were also harming me so it, it it's hard to um you know believe somebody anything is about your best interest from people who are doing things that are already scarring you and already um uh, causing you really hell on earth so you know why, why do I the idea of like being eternally bound to this people to this kind of you know belief system that I were conflated in my mind for sure um that was a horror story that was not a salvation story in any way so anyway um I think people equate like atheism with you know being especially ignorant people I should say that are, are just not aware of the you know breadth of it of the, of the kind of backgrounds of people who might be atheist or the um motivations or anything have this dark view of it and I wanted to write a book that was a very pink book that showed some of the things that influenced me to be an atheist I think and um the way that religion organized religion scares me for sure not just even my background but for example I have a poem in here that I'm going to read in a little bit that's called Plasticity and um, I have a couple of poems, two poems about Nexium that are in this book and that I, I am very attracted to um, 
watching things about cults and true crime documentaries about cults because I feel like I was raised in a cult. So, therefore, you know, I, I relate. And it gives me um, kind of not <laughs> that you want to necessarily feel, um, oh, well, geez, other, this happened to other people too because it's horrible and you don't want it to happen to anyone. But you find strength in how other people have overcome it and seeing the truth of their situation and it kind of brings you new truths that about your own situation and um especially because like in real life I don't have like oh I don't know people um I don't have other people that are come from my background necessarily that I talk about this to so I don't have that camaraderie of like surviving something with others uh, I found that online in the poetry community for sure and I appreciate that so much but anyway <laughs> um I that's so there's a whole front of the book that's called like falsetto of false idols that's a you know about 12 poems that are um about you know negative people who um abusing power people who um you know, things that where we get confused and we follow a false idol in a way. And uh, I, um, I have I've done that in so many different ways. And so there's poems in there about in like sexual situations. There's poems about um, uh, things I've seen in film. Um, and like I said, Nexium, uh, my own stories. And then in the second section, like Hymns of Herself, it's more empowering you know poems after the fact about things that I um how atheism atheism works for me because you know if you don't believe in something I mean it doesn't mean that you're I mean that's what it means you don't really have a belief but it doesn't mean that you're a negative person I think or have to be and that's been an epiphany of mine of late that I've really um made a real move in my life to be as positive as possible um and surround myself with positivity because like this is my heaven that that's the whole point of um atheist barbie i think is that i want to make a pink happy world heaven world to me here because i don't necessarily believe that this that you know there's going to be this great reward of something later so I'm going to read a few poems now from it and you can also go on my website and um, there's an atheist barbie page at kristengarth.com where you can order the book and I'll have the link up for maverick there too once that's up which by the time you're hearing it should be but in the meantime I'm going to read you a few poems let me see uh, where did my okay here we go um, these are, um, first I'll read you a couple of the poems from Falsetto of False Idols, and the first one I'm going to read is called, um, let's see, I'm going to read Delicate, and this is really about a poem that I wrote about, um, how, when I made the decision to be positive, you know, and to embrace that, but here it is, Delicate. Some porcelain is missing from my cheek. A hole you study while you think I sleep. In light of day, it bothers you. I'm weak. In darkness, you find penetrable, deep. Hidden beneath a blanket where you leave. 
consigned to a closet should somebody stay. Your sentimentality, my reprieve, protect you from the cruelty you say. You lay me down upon mulberry silk, caress my cracks, discuss each clouded eye, a complexion rosier even by my guilt. Sometimes I am a thing you just despise, perhaps too delicate for this contact. When you're away, I forget I'm cracked. And um, the next poem I'm going to read is one about Nexium that I wrote about um, after watching and reading a lot of things about Nexium. Um, and its leader, who just recently went to, um, you know, was convicted to, for jail after, you know, branding these girls and starving them and, you know, controlling their lives. And I just relate to so much to that story because, you know, I didn't choose to be in the cult that I was in. My parents chose to be in it. But because, you know, it definitely affected me just the same, even though I didn't believe in it, I was forced to, um, you know, do things and, you know, participate that were not good. And also it exposed me to people who were, um, very, you know, empowered abusers in my life. And it exposed me to other kinds of abuse too. But, um, here's plasticity. Pliable arms, you pose us for prayer. High collared dress, Veil pinned to hair, lifelike, bend, synthetic, submissive knees, black blares, a voice, box full of holes, yes sir, and please. Night widens our thighs, shortens our memories of the paradoxical use of our plasticity, poised before ASB plastic pelvis, pretense of cock, True love with kin dolls has rituals of which we must never talk. Anoint our flexible joints with pearls, purchased accessory seed, because sex, religion, or extortable needs to heed or ignore judiciously. We were procured for our plasticity. Now I'm going to read a couple of poems from the... Uh, happier section um, about hymns of herself and the, well, the first one is actually one about uh, something I did in the strip club when I, I was a stripper for years after I escaped abuse and um, mostly it was a, an empowering experience sometimes you know it felt a little strange and this was definitely a day that was a little strange when I danced for a catholic priest and his um I don't even know the names for it because I'm not Catholic, but his uniform of a Catholic priest. And he came in with some friends from out of town, and they um, paid me, and I was dressed like a Catholic schoolgirl to dance for him. And this, I wrote this poem about that. She never was going to heaven. She never was going to heaven, though she genuflected as if in prayer. She dirtied white cotton knee socks aglow in black light, like her Barbie underwear. She only prayed in neon, cigar smoke in the stale air, on a phallic altar with ribbons in her hair. Plaid bespoke for strippers before father, Roman collared, a hundred dollars in his hand. 
confessed with flesh before him, though she understands she never is going to heaven. Not blessed by the erection of this holy man, she is rentable, unforgivable, and irredeemable by venerated hands. And the last poem I'm going to read is a title poem, Atheist Barbie. And this was just the first one that I obviously wrote for this collection. And it gave me the idea to do it where I wanted to explain, you know, what atheism looked like on me and the pink kind of atheism I was talking about earlier. So this is Atheist Barbie is unavailable in stores, believes in Christmas trees, Taylor Swift evermore, with little distinction between the motifs, cute aesthetics without fealty swarm, like dollhouses dissected their families, some pink plastic posed preternaturally, replacing Puritans overcome with prayers, purience, pageantry, incest upstairs, a ripped Sunday school dress, nothing beneath, long hair dyed forever noir, fresh balsam wreath, Believer in kindness and twinkling lights, tempestu- uh, blessings and boudoirs, tempestuous nights, deprived of her breath. Nothing is deeper than sex, not even death. Thank you. My next guest on Eat the Storms today is a local playwright, poet and fiction writer from here in Dublin in Ireland. Perfectly comfortable in any creative space, his play The Collector opened at the new Dublin Theatre in 2017. His spoken word album Embers and Earth is available on iTunes and Spotify. His radio drama Crossing the Red Line won a silver award at the New York Festival's Radio Awards and he was a winner of the Hennessy New Irish Writing in 2015. His debut collection, Rapids, is now available to pre-order from Finishing Line Press. I am delighted to welcome to Eat the Storms, the finalist in the Waterford's Film Festival in 2020 for the screenplay Strike, which he co-wrote with filmmaker Shane Williams. This is Daniel Wade. Hi everyone, Dan Wade here. Very happy to be invited onto this week's episode of um, the Eat the Storms podcast with uh, Damien Donnelly. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm a poet, playwright, and writer, and a dub. And I'm going to read a few poems for you, and I hope you enjoy. This first one is called Summer Vax. Even through the pixelated blur of a 600 DPI screen, her Chicago and grin, limpidly spread by her fourth, self-taught martini, reached me burnished. Between me and her, even intimacy, had to be done far apart, though my head still swam from her lips' aftertaste. And did she recall our kisses with a fondness that matched mine? Neon afterglow of Lakeview East, spring kinetic, painted us pink through pane glass of mid-downtown rooftops and dried lavender sprigs hung, fusing slowly above her pillow. Once, I feared touching her, in case she'd disappear. Now that she's the full dark volume of an ocean and a border away, 
quarantined against the sweaty grip of her home city summer, and me, in lockdown still. I pray for the world to resume, and for more vaccinations tendered, for the last wave to near, when we'll need no longer keep our distance, and laugh again in each other's arms, long expected, crested with hope, unsignalled on any radar. This next one is called uh, Blowing Crew. It was inspired by a job I had a few years ago. There were broken pallets stacked up in the warehouse yard round the back of Emma Burns' hire base in Inchicore. Go for fuck all now. Except for making firewood, maybe. The day before, in Phoenix Park, we loaded them onto the lorry as the sun leathered our brows to red creases. We winced from the grip and strain of muscle against the weight as we lugged centre folding tables from back room to twist lock. The ratchet strap stray buckled, clicked and we lashed them to the scuffed floor. All around us, marquee tents were dismantled and taillights flashed as if an alarm as lorries backed up. A flatbed trolley waited to be stacked with amp cases and monitors and wheeled onto the tail lift. I stuffed my work gloves in my arse pocket as my wrists tanned. It was mundane work, but the cash was always in hand. Small crew we were. Maynard, who did these jobs when he wasn't slapping out jazzy bass lines in the inter. Tune with his Germanic precision. Chris with arms thick as mooring lines. Tristan, who whistled Brehan folk songs as he worked. Cutter, jangling his keys as the lorry backed up. Paul the Prepper, conspiracy king who said he told the fellow who built his flatbeds to make them, and I quote, basically apocalypse-proof. Maynard drove us back into town at quitting time. We laughed at his Tom Waits impression. It was a long day and worth it for the cash in hand. I asked myself afterwards, would you not prefer to be doing this? Sweat seeping through your t-shirt and your tendons bristling, the feeling of quitting time and the extra few bob in your pocket and scratching your balls in some overheated office, shooting emails back and forth. Just another member of the blowing crew. This final poem was called uh, Here is Paris. It was written for uh, Charles Baudelaire's great French poet's 200th anniversary. Far from the slack-jawed lookout of gargoyles and the belfries hourly clang, Far from the bistro's sulphurously lit terrace and the Seine, briefly mirror clear against a livid laudanum sky. Far from boulangeries and airbrushed views of Ile Saint Louis from an Airbnb pied-à-terre, where neon slithers over drenched asphalt. Far from the demi-monde burning in autumn's low fervour. You are reminded, this is still your city of daedal arcades. You who were lulled by the golden melting point of a hashish smog. Laureate of Amber Dusk and the traffic jams low gear chansonnier, serenading the cathedral's smoking husk. Far from the firemen who broke through her wrought iron portals as Le Garde Francais might, smoke whirling a grey monolith skyward, and the arrow in its oaken acuity, like a smouldering pillar stoked by God, collapsing with the grimmest of ceremony. Far from vault bricks plummeting 
and laden ribs fractured, you are reminded of hailstones that rattle like coffee beans in a mason jar, off zinc rooftops, the horses you can no longer hear, trotting apocalyptically off the cobbles, and the copper sea-green statue of the apparatic disciple helicoptered off for repairs, fodder for tourists' insta-feeds. Here is your city's riot-prone heart, now ablaze with neon, her oceries cached with aeons of tibias and famers, shivering archive for the dead. Odd to think that, as long as the light from our headlamps crawls over graffiti, civilization is still near, even far below the unfamiliar rumbles of the metro. Far from the laser lights blinding, ultraviolet sweep, from neon-painted faces and smoke-bombed walls and sweaty light, far from the PAs thudding loudly as war, far from the DJ spinning a remixed web from the turntable, from the damp floor of your city's graffiti bells, you can crawl in your stomach through the cube-like tunnels and rattling in concert, all those ivory skulls. You might turn a corner, only for death to offer you a cigarette. Perhaps even greet the skeletal reaper as a friend. It's not sky threshing the soul crop at characteristic random. Yet we have the privilege of paralysis, the luxury of lawlessness, till we see for ourselves that rosy dusk tinging the burrows like an impressionist's fleeting blur, and wave at the cruise boats paddling under Pondiff Bridge. Remember, this is your city still, Charles, unrecognisable as it might be. C'est la ville lumière. Once the flavour of Boulanger wine dissolves with each onyophilic swallow, might we regain the city in your name, O patron saint of ivory skulls that keep the catacombs fully stocked, our hands placed on scorched balustrades, the morning fog hovers thin as a veil that perhaps once sheathed the gorgeous limbs of Herodias's daughter, though not enough to see clearly. Bloody paint splatters colonial statues, a colonnade's bone-white trusses glisten as graffiti smears them like oil and fear, hovers in doorways and parking meters and masks hanging below chins. Do you smell the courage on my breath? It's lingered for hours drowned out by sweat and craft larger, smoke slurred by the wind, petrol fumes snarled and heavy aftershave. We are the generation that gave up on intimacy, by all accounts, calmly eating lunch under patio heaters as glass shards seasoned the pavement. But I'm not here for volunteer clean-up crews rinsing down a graffiti-splattered plinth from where the statue of a long-dead trafficker of human cargo was toppled nor for the boarded-up windows of Le Rocher-Posay, Le Coq Sportif and Gucci, each entrance an exit manned by fleeks. Though I have opal scales for eyes these days, ears immune to the brush of your whisper, there are your voices, black-clad, cravated flaneur, slum socialite, to whose verses my reddened eyes keep returning, that intrigue, mystify, lure, and even, two centuries onward, inspire awe again. What season of Eat the Storms would be complete without a visit from my next guest? 
She was my very first guest on season one. And last year, I had the honor of joining her on Zoom for the launch of her debut poetry collection, The Exceptional Venus in Pink Marble, published by the Hedgehog Poetry Press. She is also the author of Memory Forest and Circling the Sun, and last year she co-wrote Penned In with fellow Northern Ireland poet Karen Moore. She is Belfast-born, but has always been destined for the stars. This is the fantastic Gaynor Kane. Hi, Demi. Hi, listeners. It's lovely to be back on Season 3, Episode 2 of Eat the Storms. Today, I'm going to read... A poem from Venus in Pink Marble, my full collection, published by Hedgehog Poetry Press, and it's the first poem in section one of the book, and it's called The Lock. I can't resist the challenge of working out your code, listen to the click, click, click of teeth nipping past the pin, listen to the talk of the clock as the dials rotate, listen for the ticks of numbers falling in place and your combo clunk. You meet my nose with coldness and the scent of blood, newborns in his collection of copper coins, mother's gold charm bracelet with clover, wishing well, clog and key, or her grandfather's old toolbox, a cacophony of giants, chisels, claw hammer, hacksaw, cock. Your colour has me thinking of boulders along the edge of Belfast Lock, where O'Neill's red hand alighted after being cleaved and hurled from sea to land. Or mountains of fossilised rocks stacked at the docks, coal carted, then scooped in spadeloads into sacks. You are tugboat shaped, my thoughts go large to aral gantries and liners nesting within skeletal stalks until fully formed. Rivets struck like rhythmic heartbeats, chocks lodged in place to stop them slipping out to sea until waters broke and ships were birthed by tugboat midwives. Everything was monochrome, chalk, smoke, firebrick slack. Dunchers, dungarees, grubby hands and faces at clocking off. Men boot, men's boots still gleaming with pride. Pride passed down paternally, reflecting on shiny surfaces until the yard was boatless, barren and the gates all locked. <laughs> We are now coming to the end of today's show, so I have time to leave you with just one final poem. A poem that sticks with the themes of the two poems I read at the beginning, so identity and development. This one on how memory is not always honest and how it twists that which we thought we were into something that never really was. The scent of something that never existed. I smell you in places. Sometimes in places you've never been, traces of suggestions since passed from those knees once knocking to this time here that space has brought down around us. An us that was never a we, never a witness to any concession above that knee. Desire is deadly. 
Our memory is a force stronger than science. We were quarks. Subatomic particles, senseless shifting. We were not made of the scent I now recall that this mind has made into actual elements. That this moment here, with all its senseless incense comprised of all our nothingness, has turned into a nucleus and that nonsense into an atom that never existed. Scent is not to be trusted. I am not a chemist, aromacologist, botanist. I cannot remember your name or even the colour of your eyes, though that is a lie. They were blue when I first staggered under that desire to know drowning. I've forgotten the taste of your breath. The invisible particles I know I leaned in often to catch, and yet now, somehow, I think I catch your scent here. Divided by those two decades and a trillion brilliant atoms that have built up and broken down along the way. Somewhere, perhaps there remains an imprint pressed into the fabric of time, or your colour. A brief outline of our knees, yours pressed against mine, or mine against yours. Somewhere. The sound of your footsteps coming in, coming up, coming closer until you continued up one more flight and away. A single flight beyond the reach of my nose to catch all you had inhaled of that stage. Or my lips to taste your suggestion or my mind to see how we were never meant to be anything other than shimmers of light. Yours blue and mine growing out of green. Unaware of our own flames, catching spotlights on the stone-cold streets of Paris, not yet aware of our names. Touching all and everything, and forgetting so much in the excitement of the next burst coming our way. I smell you, in places we never belonged. Non-conformers and non-believers, gender X and gender equals, we've reached the end of another episode of Eat the Storms, the poetry podcast. My name is Damien B. Donnelly and thank you so much for joining us here today. A huge thank you to all of my guests on this episode, Christina Thatcher, Matt Honer, Daniel Wade, Kirsten Garth and Gaynor Kane. As always, for details of all of my guests, please head on over to www.eatthestorms.com. Click on the podcast section and there you will find a listing for all of the episodes. This was episode two, season three. If you would like to take part in the show, then please drop me an email at eatthestorms at yahoo.com and I will be delighted to feature you as a guest. 
week. We have 13 more episodes to go in season three, but still a few spaces to spare and to slot in another shining star. As I said at the beginning, we are on Spotify, Anchor, Apple, Breaker, Google, Podbean, Pocketcast, Overcast, Castbox, Player FM, Public Radio and iTunes. Thank you so much for joining us and please feel free to share us with all of your friends. Till next time, stay safe, stay well and of course no episode of Eat the Storms can ever truly be over without the catchphrase, stay bloody poetic!